It is so excited to see all of you here. Know that you have been prayed here this morning. We have been anticipating this for um, a couple months now and working on it. When I first um, started putting this together, uh, I was asking the Lord, what do we need to hear? Um, what would be edifying? What would be um, educational and such? And he brought Kim to mind. And so when Pastor Eric and I and Kim Anderson met together for the first time in January, I posed to her a question. I said, over the la course of the last several years, what is the biggest concern women have come seeking counseling for? Now, I had kind of had an idea from my website and readership, but I wanted to hear it from her. And it was spot on. It was anxiety. If any of you, and most of you have, gone through the pandemic, as we did, and being isolated and locked down, and that fear of the unknown that just kind of seeped in to our lives, um, we need to hear the opposite of it. Um, I can speak from personal experience that without the word of God and godly people pouring scripture into me because of longstanding fear and anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress, panic attacks, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God and people who poured into me with biblical counseling. So Kim and I met about four years ago when I went through biblical counseling training through Bethany Community Church in Washington. And then um, consequently, I was honored and given the privilege of shadowing her and being mentored for her by her for about a year as she counseled um, a woman. And so I not only saw her biblical wisdom, but I saw her, her deep insight, her care, and her compassion, and her hope as she um, helped this person through their struggles. So um, Kim is a credentialed biblical counselor through Bethany Community Church in Washington. She's been counseling for about 11 years now. And she is going to bring us great insight and wisdom and hope. And so I'm, on the end, I'm going to give you a quote from um, one of my favorite pastors, Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote once, our anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only it empties today of its strengths. And I might add, it empties us of our joy. So before I uh, invite her up here on the, pulp, on the stage, I do want to remind you that we are going to have a brief question and answer period after. So as you're listening, if you have a question, jot it down. And we will be doing that right at the end. So join with me as we welcome Kim up here.
<laughs> well, Pam's words were very kind. I probably should have my daughter come up and say a few things to balance it out. <laughs> but we won't do that. So I'm excited to be here today. I love this topic and for two reasons. One, it's an area where I personally struggle and I need to grow. And, I, and as I stand up here speaking to you, I don't speak to you as one who has all the answers, but as just a fellow traveler on this journey to walk through, through life with its hardships and difficulties. And second of all, I love this topic because God's Word speaks so very, very richly to this topic. <clears throat> and so what I'm sharing today is really just a broad overview of the topic of anxiety. Um, each individual struggle has its own nuances and layers. And so, um, you know, just keep that in mind. And I hope that you see this, this um, kind of this information, this conversation, as just a starting point for more conversations. And to begin, let's just start out by defining anxiety. Sometimes I think it's helpful for terms that we think we know um, what they mean, to just kind of even to look up in a dictionary. And I did that. Um, and this is the a dictionary definition, um, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about imminent events or something with an uncertain outcome. I also then went to a Bible dictionary and looked up the word anxiety um, anxious, where Jesus says, um, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And that, that word means to have anxious concern based on apprehension of um, possible danger or misfortune. And you see a common elements in both of these definitions. Um, they're about uncertain outcome, possible danger, possible misfortune. And so anxiety is really, it's a future-oriented concern about tomorrow. One of my favorite authors defines the, tells the difference between anxiety and fear, as fear has a lot to do with a, there's an imminent present danger, whereas anxiety is more about what might happen. And so it's about, it's a concern about tomorrow, but it has very real impact today. And Pam mentioned that, how, like it, it's, we feel the impact of worry right now where we are when we're in the midst of anxiety, and it has a tremendous effect on our lives. And finally, just as we think about anxiety, sometimes we can clearly connect it to a specific thing. For example, um, I ironically had a quite a bit of anxiety this week as I was preparing for this, um, and, and I can t it's, it's related to this definite specific thing, or my daughter's going on it flying by herself on a trip this summer, and when I, if I don't think about that rightly, I, um, I get anxious thinking about it. But sometimes we experience anxiety that's just a more, in a more generalized way, and it just feels, we feel anxious, but it feels vague, and we, we would say, like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. And so it can present different ways. And, then, and so anxiety is a common experience. I think it's something all of us have experienced we live in a broken world. Um, it's broken by the fall. When God created the world, he created a, a place of perfect um, harmony, perfect peace. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, 
in perfect harmony with God. They walked with God daily and, and talked with him. They um, lived in perfect harmony with each other. They lived in perfect harmony with their environment. There was no danger. There was nothing to be afraid of. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Um, and when they did that, everything changed. They died spiritually. Their relationship with God was broken. And their heart was changed so that they no longer were inclined to love God and inclined to love what is good, but their hearts became evil and they became inclined to, pers to pursue sin and to pursue self. And this, and this just changed everything in the world. And the heart of every person since then, um, because we're all descended from Adam, has been affected by the fall. And so we're, we're born with these hearts. And I would say every part of our being is affected by the fall, um, including our emotions. And so then I'll end. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were affected, but all of creation was affected. The world was broken. Um, and that we have, and as a consequence, we have natural disasters, um, hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. We have crime. People do t terrible, evil things to one another. We have sickness and death. And I mean, each one of us, um, even if we're relatively healthy now, know that someday we're going to, we're, we will face death. And so creation is broken. And we're it tempts us to anxiety. Uh, another reason that anxiety is a common experience is, is that many, many things in life are outside of our control. And it's the things that, out, that are outside of our control that we tend to worry about. And again, um, the, the future is uncertain from our perspective. And so again, um, any, we are tempted to anxiety. In this, um, Psalm 94, 19, the psalmist says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. And I love that verse because I can just so relate to that. This, this how when I, when I become anxious and my thoughts just seem to swirl and they just multiply and they grow and grow and grow. And, um, and so anxiety is a common experience. But it's also, anxiety is also a unique experience. Oops. Yeah, anxiety is also a unique experience for each one of us. It comes, on, the, on this side I have this, it says um, perfect peace. On the other side of the spectrum, unable to function. And I would say at any time, all, all of us are somewhere along that, that spectrum, um, at maybe at, at different places. But we all experience anxiety, but we experience it differently. And there's a, just a whole variety of symptoms that come along with anxiety. There's um, cognitive and emotional symptoms. And then we, and there's also very real physical manifestations. Our body is affected by, by um, anxiety. And we all experience this differently. So each of our experiences is, is different, how we experience anxiety. And so though it's common, it's also different. And so the next thing I want to talk about then is this anxiety is linked to the heart. Oftentimes when we think about anxiety, we tend to think of it as being something that is all about the things that are out there. And it is very true that it is about the things that are out there. 
our circumstances, the things going on in our life, but it's also very much about what's going on in our heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about it in a very different way than our culture does. Um, when our culture talks about the heart, it's just talking mostly about um, the seat of emotions, um, kind of the Disney-ish, the follow your heart, follow, and, and just the seat of where emotions come from. But the, the Bible's picture of the heart is much richer. The Bible, when it talks about the heart, it's, a, it's, this, it's the center of the inner man. And it's, Jesus says that it's out of the heart that all of our behavior, all of our words um, flow, and I would say our, our emotions too. And so in our heart, if you see this, this picture, um, we have um, one function of the heart is cognitive, and that's our thinking and our beliefs. Another is, uh, I don't have the word on here, but we sometimes call it the aff affections or affective part of the heart, and it has to do with the things that we love, the things that we value, the things that we desire, the things we want. And then another aspect of the heart is just a volition, the will. We make choices. And all those things are, are working together. Our heart is active. It's always doing these things. It's always believing things. It's always valuing something. It's always wanting something. And these things are working together um, and then produce our behavior and our emotions and our words that we speak. And so as you think about that, so anxiety is linked to what we believe, what I value, what I love, what I want. And then in this heart here, you see, I have listed just several things that are very, very common things that we value and that we want. Um, physical health. We all, that's very important to all of us. Financial security, success, and that might look different for each of us will think differently about what that means, but we don't want to be successful, to have significance, um, our reputation, our physical safety, relationships, people, um, people uh, approval of other people. Think about um, many of us are in here are um, wives and moms. Think about how much of your anxiety is related to the, the children and other family members that you value. Um, and so... And again, it's, 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 again, these things are all good things to desire, but, what, but then if there's a threat of harm or loss to these things, or if there's any ability or any um, uncertainty about my ability to control the outcome, and then I'm going to be tempted to anxiety. And the more I value something and the more I want it, the more anxiety I'm going to feel about when I... Um, you know, when, there's some, when I think that thing is threatened. And so it's, it's, anxiety is about the outside circumstances of our life, but it's also linked to our hearts and um, what we believe and love and value. And then just, um, and you, you, you all know this, but we all have different ways that we cope with anxiety. I just put a list of things up here. Um, it's, it's helpful to understand ourselves and what our kind of default uh, mechanisms of dealing with anxiety are. Some of these things aren't necessarily bad. We do have to plan. It's helpful to get information. But what happens is that we do these things, but have no. But God is not connected to them at all. We're doing this. We have these ways that are our own way of dealing with anxiety. 
and we don't bring God into the picture, then, as I said then, we can find hope in God. His word speaks very richly. First of all, we have a God who cares about us. He cares about our anxieties. Um, he's merciful. And when he looks down on us in our suffering, our God cares, and he's moved. He wants to help us. Um, the Lord also speaks to his anxious people. One of my favorite books um, on anxiety and fear is a book called Running Scared by Ed Welch. And in this book, he mentions that in the scriptures, over 300 times, God says to his people, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And so God, God cares and God speaks. And what we're, today, as we think about um, finding hope in God, we're going to be looking at just two main aspects of finding hope in God. First of all, uh, finding hope in God's character, and then finding hope in God's promises. And so, first of all, finding hope in God's, God's character. Um, this, this Psalm 910 says, And those who know your... Whoops, can you, yeah, thanks. Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And this verse has been life-changing for me. Um, when I, um, like most of you now know my name. It's, um, even if you haven't met me, you know my name. It's in the brochure. You have a nice picture of me. <laughs> but, um, so, but most of you don't really know me. Um, and probably most of you wouldn't trust me with anything too valuable, which is right, rightly so, because you don't really know me. Um, but when the Bible talks about knowing somebody's name, about knowing God's name, it means something much, much richer than what we think of in our culture. Like, you know, us, to know somebody's name is just to know, like, what they're called by that, that distinguishes them from another person. The idea of God's name in Scripture is filled in that is the idea of his character, um, everything about him, who he is, what he's like. And again, so it's as we start to look at um, all the different characteristics of God and who he is, and I just listed some of them, the more we press into knowing who God is, the more um, we're going to be able to trust him. And like, there's just so many attributes of God. And depending on the circumstances that we're in, different attributes may be encouraging um, and kind of soothe their anxieties at different times. But there's, I think there's three that are, three or four that are particularly helpful. And um, Jerry Bridges, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he wrote a book called Trusting God. And again, I, this is a book I read when I was in the midst of a, just one of the probably the darkest times of my life. Read this book. And in it, he emphasizes three characteristics. God's goodness, God's sovereignty, and his, his control over everything, and then his wisdom, all, that he's all wise. And he said, because these things are true, we can trust God. He's trustworthy. And so there's, like I said, different characteristics can encourage us at different times. But what we want to do is to press into knowing God in a personal relationship sort of way, not just knowing facts about him, so that our perspective on God grows and grows and becomes bigger and bigger so that 
our view of God and who he is is bigger than our circumstances and bigger than ourselves. And so I wanted to talk just briefly about one characteristic of God, and that's this God, that God's, God's love. And throughout Scripture, the steadfast love of God for his people is meant to be an anchoring hope and a, just a tremendous comfort and encouragement to us. The, the problem is that when we're in the midst of difficulties, we're often tempted to think that God doesn't love us. But the cross of Christ demonstrates God's love for us in a way that nothing else could. I want to read a passage from 1 John 4. I'm going to start at the end of chapter 8 and read 9 and 10 mostly, but it says, For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And as, as we get caught up in facing life in this world, um, we sometimes we focus so much on the, the immediate problems before us that sometimes we forget that those things aren't our biggest problem. Our biggest problem that we have in this life is that we are meant to live life in intimate relationship with God, but because of our sin, we're cut off from him. Our, our God is holy, and our sin separates us from him. And God is a just, is a just judge, and someday he is going to come um, and judge the world, and we all deserve punishment, and we're all helpless to do anything about that in our own strength. But God loved us so much that he looked down at us in our helpless condition and he sent his son. And Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a death on the cross that was a sacrifice that paid the punishment for our sin that we deserve. He took the, our punishment for us, and then he rose from the dead. And he lives in heaven, and he's interceding for us. And for those who... Um, turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ, they know our biggest problem is solved. Our sins are forgiven. Uh, we have a restored relationship. But you might, and, and you, might, and you might think, and I often thought this in the past, well, that's nice. I have, a, I have my eternity is secure. But what does that have to do with my problems right here and now? Well, it changes everything. God has solved our biggest problem when we were his enemies. How much more now that we're reconciled to him will he come and help us? And he's, he's not a God who's far off. He, uh, Ephesians says that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have access to God. And not only is he our God, but he's become our father and no longer do we have to feel like we're alone in this vast world with all its problems because we have a Heavenly Father who is walking with us and caring for us. And, we, and um, much of our anxieties relate to <clears throat> you know, our physical well-being and the physical well-being of others and what's going to happen after life or after death. And we don't have to worry about that. There is no more condemnation and he's conquered death 
so that it's no longer the dreaded end. And though it's still going to have anxieties for us, I just think that's part of being human. But it becomes the, the gateway into his presence where we will see Jesus face to face and we will spend eternity with him in glory forever. And then for the, in this life, he gives us his spirit to help us. And so God's love is shown to us through the cross of Christ is a great comfort. Whether you're somebody who is just thinking about placing your faith in Christ or whether you're somebody who has been a believer and walked with God for you know, 30, 40, 50 years, the cross is the place we go when we're anxious because in it, God irrefutably proved his love for us by sending his son. And he irrefutably shows that he's powerful enough to work all things for good, even in the, the most difficult of circumstances. It's, it's, and we just have such a good God. Um, he, he, and he knows our weaknesses. He knows, you can go ahead to the next slide. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how hard it is for us to trust in an unseen God. And so throughout scriptures, one thing he does is that he gives us imagery. And I would encourage you, I'm just going to flip through these quickly, but as you, th as you read scriptures and you think about this and you face difficulties, find some of these, one or two of these images that really resonates with you and this cling to it. These have all been just tremendous comfort to me. Um, God is a rock. God is a strong tower. God is a shield. God is a good shepherd. God is a father. And just all these things work together to um, help us in the midst of anxiety. The next, I want to just look at finding hope in God's promises. We're all used to um, people not keeping their promises. A lot of times we don't keep our promises. I think sometimes I'll make a promise and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Or I forget about it. I tell my daughter I'm going to do something and I just totally forget. Or I just can't. Sometimes we, you know, we'll say, we promise our kids we're going to do something and then something happens beyond our control and we just can't do it. So we're not always able to keep our promises. We often don't want to keep our promises, but God is not like us. He's faithful. Um, and he has the power to, to, to carry out all of his promises. Joshua 21, 45. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. Oh, no, no, remember. This is Joshua speaking um, to the Israelites after they've come into the promised land. And he says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. So God keeps his promises. And, um, the, and the first promise that he makes, that I think this is the bedrock foundational promise, the one that we continually go back to, is that a promise, I will be with you. Deuteronomy, he says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And again, uh, what is the, a beautiful thing is God's promise of his presence with us. One time, my little two-year-old um, two grandson was afraid of this loud noise outside. In the back, it was in the backyard, and his dad came out. He saw his dad. He took his dad's hand 
And all of a sudden, this noise that was scary was pretty, fu was pretty fun to like, watch and listen to. In the same way with us, the, the fact that God is present with us changes everything. We are not alone. He is with us. And so we cling to that promise. Uh, a second promise that he gives us is the promise of grace. I will provide grace. The Apostle Paul um, had what was called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was specifically, but he prayed for the Lord to remove it. And God said, no. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And um, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so there will always be grace available. My, and, uh, Ed Welch, again, in this book, uh, Running Scared, talks about what he calls future grace. And this idea, again, has been just foundational for my, in my own life as I think about the future. Sometimes we get scared thinking like, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? And a lot of times the things that we don't worry, we worry about, don't ever come to pass. But sometimes, you know, the you know, bad and terrible things do happen to us. But he says in those moments, if those things come to pass, the grace will be there in the future. God is not going to abandon us. He's go he will provide the grace that we need to walk through those things. Thirdly, God promises people, I will help you. Again, Isaiah 41.10 is a very uh, popular verse, and many people uh, find comfort from it. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And, and so God promises that he's going to help his people. He's not going to abandon his people. Um, and sometimes when we think about God helping us, it can seem kind of nebulous. Like, how does this God who we can't even see help us? Well, there's several ways, I think, from Scripture. One, he changes our circumstances. And if we're honest, that's actually the kind of help we all want. <laughs> Please, Lord, take me out of this difficult situation. Change these difficult people around me. Um, you know, put some extra money in my check account, checking account. Those are the kinds of help we would like from God. And sometimes he does that. I would say he probably does that often in more ways than we know, but he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he helps in other ways. One, he strengthens us. I think back um, 10 years ago, uh, probably about 10 years ago, maybe 11, entered into one of the most difficult trials of my life. And I can remember at one point sitting on my dining room floor, so I'm by myself, and I was crying. And I just think, Lord, I can't do this. I can't go on another. I can't go on another day. I can't go on another moment. I can't go on. And yet, here I am. <laughs> I'm here, and I'm thriving, spiritually, still struggling. But God, but God is good. He, he He strengthened me. I could not, in my own strength, have gotten up off the dining room floor. Um, but He provided that. Um, another way He helps us is He provides what we need. Another way is he gives wisdom. James 1.5, he promises wisdom to those who ask him. And then fifthly, a way he helps, again, that we're often not looking for, is that he, he helps us by changing us. The reason, one of the, as I, I think back to that day, I was sitting on the floor crying, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago um, because the Lord refined me and changed me. And the things that I valued and trusted in have changed, not perfectly, 
but I've grown. And so he changes us. Is another way he helps us. And then a fourth promise, again, is that he promises us that we're going to live in his kingdom forever. Second uh, Timothy, Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Um, again, we are eventually all going, you know, our health is going to fail. Uh, we're going to face death. And God promises an eternity with him that will go on forever. And so as we think about these, um, as we think about these characteristics of God, um, as we think about these promises he's made to us, what, that, what does that look like in daily life? Well, it's really, is a process of, we learn these things, but there's a, it's a journey, it's a process of learning to take refuge in God, learning to turn to Him. This is a, this, this little, little picture, is, I call it a Y diagram, it's not, I didn't invent it, but it, um, I, I like it, I use it a lot when I talk with people. It, starts, it has the heart at the bottom, because it's out of the heart that, um, you know, as we talked about, all of our actions, speech, emotions, all those things come. And so, and up at the, in the middle, there's what we call choice point. And sometimes these are made generally, and let's say the choice point is either pleasing God or pleasing self. Here I chose for this is to put um, trusting God or trusting self. And so we stand at this choice point, and I would say that for most of us, we do this without, without even really thinking we move to these default ways of dealing with anxiety. Like, I mean, I'll find myself laying awake and I'll, real, and I'll realize in bed at night and I'll realize, oh, I've just been thinking about this for 30 minutes and I haven't even thought once to pray about this. And so we naturally go to, the, to this default way, but we have to learn when we're st starting to feel the grip of anxiety, I can make a choice here that I can turn and I can choose to trust God. And what that looks like is, uh, um, I don't really have time to go over that, but a good first step is really just listing out the problems, that you're, things that you're worried about, and praying about them. For example, we actually, we left, I had a lot of anxiety since I agreed to talk to this, uh, talk about this topic. <laughs> but, so we, we left our daughter home by herself for the first time ever, and I was so worried about that. And as I thought about it, I did, and, I, and I had the multiplying thoughts just going through my mind, and I, finally I just sat down and think, okay, what are you worried about? What are you? And I came down to one thing: I'm worried she's going to get, I'm worried she's going to get in a car accident, and I'm worried she's going to oversleep and miss her classes. <laughs> so, and so I'm like, okay, I can. And so then I could talk to God about those specific things, and then I decided the worrying about classes was really not that big a deal. I probably didn't need to worry about that. Um, and so. Yeah, and so, but so it's a, just in conclusion, um, as we think about the battle of anxiety against anxiety, it's not simplistic. It's not just quoting a Bible verse. Um, it's not solved overnight. But the battle of anxiety is, it's rooted in a relationship with the triune God. Again, if um, if, if if we are living life apart from God, um, we actually have reasons to be anxious because we do. 
this, our, our, we, there is no good future to look forward to. We are in one sense alone because we don't have God as our Father caring for us. So it's um, rooted in a relationship with the triune God. Um, it's developing a lifestyle of learning to turn to God for refuge. It's focused on growth and not the t total elimination of anxiety. I mean, we just have to be honest. We are all broken, sinful creatures, and we are not going to be, until we see Christ in an eternity, I just don't believe that any of us is going to be totally over this problem. Nobody's going to reach perfection in this struggle with anxiety. It's just uh, probably not going to happen. But we can grow, and we can grow tremendously. And then finally, the battle against anxiety is best fought in community. We were meant to walk in relationship with God, but we were also meant to walk in relationship with other people. And God has blessed us by giving us the church as a community of uh, fellow travelers on this journey. So um, we live in a broken world. It's filled with danger and uncertainty, but we can have hope because we have a loving, powerful God who cares for us, and we have a loving, powerful God who always keeps his promises to us. Thank you.